Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. The disciple, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, a week later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and bring your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to Thomas, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. My Lord and my God, the five most perfect words in the Gospel of John we know they're the most perfect words in the Gospel of John because John saves them for the very, very end of his Gospel. The last words we hear from any of the disciples, any of the apostles of Jesus, are these simple, profound, and really pretty perfect words spoken by Thomas. My Lord and my God. Now, and Thomas didn't come to these words easily. 
you know, not just the story that we hear today at the end of John's gospel with, you know, the wondering about, you know, seeing and believing and all of that, but even long before that, Thomas, along with the other 11 apostles, must have had a kind of a roller coaster ride in relationship with this Jesus, you know, beginning up in Galilee and being enthused by him and excited by, by his teaching and his preaching and his, his lessons and his parables and even more by his healing of the sick and his forgiveness of sinners. It must have been really something to be part of all of that. But, but naming what it was they were experiencing would not have come easy for them. We know from the gospel stories, not just John, but the other three as well, that, that Jesus' apostles, his disciples, for a long time, really didn't get the full picture. They got bits and pieces of the puzzle, but, but the full picture eluded them. Often in the gospel stories, when, when there's a moment for professing their faith in Jesus in his fullness, you know, they fall terribly short. Well, you know, who do you say that I am? Well, you might be like John the Baptist, or you might be Elijah, or you might be this or that. But, but they don't really get it, who this Jesus is that they're experiencing every day. And so as they go along, they, 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 they're working at this and they're trying to figure it out and it's, it's not coming all that easily to them because, because who Jesus is is kind of mind-blowing. It's beyond their concepts. They don't have words for this. How could, how could Jesus be, well, a prophet? That's easy to figure out. How could he be a mystic? That's easy to figure out. How could he be a healer? That's easy to figure out. How could he even be in some sense the son of God? You know, the Messiah, that's not so difficult to figure out. But to figure out, to find words for, for Jesus being the very presence of God standing before them in flesh and in blood, that's a concept, that's a word, that's an experience they do not yet get in its fullness. And even when they come down to Jerusalem and things get really hard for them, when the conflict between Jesus and the leaders of the people and the fear of the Romans is all sort of building into this, this terrible thunderstorm of grief, you know, and Jesus' passion begins with the betrayal of, of, of one of his own, that's a pretty good sign that Judas at least and whoever maybe he had influence over certainly didn't get who Jesus was. And the others, when push comes to shove, they all flee. Peter, the great one, the rock, he denies Jesus three times. He certainly didn't get who Jesus was, nor did the others. And even after they experienced the resurrection on the first day of the week, you know, this is something joyous and something grand, but none of them say in any of these stories, you know, Jesus, you are God made flesh. None of them get that far even. Again, the resurrection of Jesus, his, his experience of coming to them and saying to them, peace be with you, and speaking with them and eating with them, even after his resurrection still leaves them wondering, joyfully wondering perhaps, but wondering what in God's name is happening here. And so Thomas, along with them, shares that, that incredulity. 
shares that sort of, what is it, what state is it? Missouri, the show me state? If I can't see it with my own eyes, I don't believe it. That, that kind of bravado that says, you know, I'm the smart guy here and I've got two good eyes and I've got five senses and they all work. And if my senses and my eyes, my touch don't tell me what's going on, then I don't believe it. Thomas comes in late to the show. You know, he misses the first great apparition of Jesus, the first great visit of Jesus. And he comes in and he says, I don't believe it. And then seven days on, on the next first day of the week, Thomas is there for the experience of meeting the risen Jesus. And this time, Jesus, after his usual greeting of peace, he kind of looks at Thomas and says, well there, big man, you're so smart. Here, touch, touch, see with your eyes. And he, you know, a little bit of a gentle scolding there. But what happens to Thomas is the, the high point of the Gospel of John. Because what happens to Thomas is not just the seeing with his eyes and not just the touching with his fingertips. What happens to Thomas is in that dialogue with Jesus, his relationship his intimate relationship is restored and brought to its fullness. It's his friendship with Jesus, his companionship with Jesus, his love with Jesus, his, his communion with Jesus, now free, that is what moves him to fall to his knees and to say, my Lord and my God. Those five most perfect words in the Gospel of John and maybe in all of the Gospels. And why does John hold them as so important, these simple five words, these simple, simple words? Because of two things. John wants his own followers, some 60 years further on, who have never seen Jesus with their own two eyes and ever touched him with their own hands, obviously to believe obviously to experience that same relationship with Jesus, the risen one, as Thomas experienced. And, and John wants that for anyone who reads this gospel or hears this story, not just 60 years after Jesus, but 600 and 2,000 and whatever. What are the two things that are implicit in these words? One, it's a credo. It's a profession of faith. In, in a sense, it's the foundational creed of the church upon which all the other creeds, the long one that we're going to say in just a few minutes, uh, they're all founded on this. This is, the, this is the, the base of it all. The faith that Jesus, the risen one, is Lord and God, something the other disciples and apostles have yet not come to. And the second thing is, beside being the first simple, beautiful creed of the Christian community, it is also a great prayer because it's expressing the 
Thomas's relationship and the Christians of the first century's relationship and our relationship to this living Jesus, this risen one, this God made present to us with whom we can speak, with whom we can be a little bit embarrassed, who can shame us just a little bit for our bravado, who can humble us and embrace us and love us and forgive us. That too is the prayer. That too is what is expressed in those five simple words, my Lord and my God. And they can be repeated by us as a perfect prayer any time we want. When we're feeling good about things, my Lord and my God. When we're feeling bad about things, my Lord and my God. When we're washing the dishes one more time, my Lord and my God. When we see somebody do an action that is gracious and kind and compassionate for someone else, unmerited, my Lord and my God. When we feel great faith and when we feel no faith, my Lord and my God. It's a perfect prayer because it restores us to our living relationship to the living God made flesh in our midst. The five perfect words that end the Gospel of John are our words, my Lord and my God.